everybody, welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I'm half of the show. My name is Jeff. The other 0.5 part of the show is Mark A. Johnston from Seattle. Mark, how you doing? You're mixing fractions and and yeah, dozens. I know. Yeah, I wanted to see how good our listeners were at math because that was something that I always sucked at is fractions in general. But when they give you a fraction and a decimal, and they said, "Hey, what's the answer?" <laughs> yeah, that's tough. Yeah, I, I don't even want to try. Our books, I, I went to, you know, high school and junior high in, in Utah. A lot of our math books in the back had the even answers to all the questions. Did yes. you? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I always thought that was weird. I knew I was going to get 50% right off the bat. <laughs> Guaranteed. And all you had to do from that point to pass was just get another. Yeah, if you run into a couple of correct answers, you're going to. You make a guess. Well, I mean, this is not a math podcast, so we will move on from there. I just, Good thing, too. Yeah, I don't know why that just struck me, but I wanted to get that out there in the universe. But uh, Mark, let's go ahead and let's jump right into some BP. Uh, I just told you before we recorded, we had our first regular season game, so I'm a little sore today, so I'm going to need to need to stretch out a little bit also mark this is our our first show where we're dropping it on wednesday instead of yes. tuesdays so a little extra day to recover is helpful yes yes hope nobody's too upset about that you uh, probably plan your work schedule around when we drop our shows so we apologize but you know mark has got to work games on the weekend for the mariners and i my games are on sunday so we figured at least for a while we're going to drop these on wednesdays We'll see, especially during the offseason where we land. But uh, let's get right into BP here. Uh, Mark, I got some really kind of off-the-wall kind of stuff here that I've seen in the last week. First of all, somebody went, and they must have been bored, but they took the headshots of all of the players from all of the teams from opening day, and they made a graph with them which is scary enough as it is. But uh, the main purpose of this is they wanted to see how many players on the 26-man roster for each Major League Baseball team was smiling in their official Major League Baseball headshot. <laughs> Again, people have a lot of time on their hands, I okay. guess. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Who do you think's the happiest team in Major League Baseball? That's a good question. The uh, San Diego Padres. Well, they live in San Diego. Yeah, well, they're kind of middle of the pack. Um, I mean, if you don't know how these pictures are, are taken, media day is generally in the very early days of spring training. So this could be late February or early March. But it's weird because it, it turns out the happiest team in baseball is probably the happiest team in baseball with the, the Tampa Bay Rays because Ooh. they're very good. And they just lost their first game over the weekend. Now, this graph here says 25 and a half. More fractions. I don't know. I guess maybe it's a smirk. (laughs) They almost had everybody smiling, but apparently one of them was smirking. In second place was the Reds at 24, which I guess probably just Joey Votto is keeping them light. There you go. Yep remarkably unhappy, which is weird because they're off to a good start, is the Texas Rangers. Only seven of their guys are smiling. Wow, taking it seriously in Texas. Yeah, I don't know if they had a team, uh, like a team meeting or something before photo day or what, but they were not happy. Your Seattle Mariners are directly in the middle at 17. That's pretty much league average, it looks like. I would have put us at a pretty happy team, but... uh... 
Maybe they don't like the weather so much. Yeah, I don't I don't know. My A's are at 21. You know, but that makes sense because there's 21 guys that are just happy to be employed. That's a good point. <laughs> so they're like, hey, man, I'm a big leaguer. I'm getting my picture taken. I'm going to smile. Baseball card coming. Check me out. <laughs> yeah. Get that contract. Uh, all right. Another odd graph that I found here is the most common batting order position by defensive position through April 12th. So this got me to thinking it was just it was an interesting thing to look at. But this got me to thinking, Mark, you and I are we like to say it are kind of our our prime time, our heyday of baseball was the mid 80s to kind of the mid to late 90s. That was when we really kind of eat, slept and lived baseball. That's what I could tell you. Everybody on every team and something about them. And, you know, I knew just a ton of stuff because all I did was think about baseball. Not the kind of still describes it, but yeah, it's very similar yeah. to what we do now. But back then, it was way it, more upsetting. It was I mean, harder because you didn't have the internet. You couldn't watch every right? team. Oh my gosh! Remember doing rotisserie leagues or oh, fantasy yeah. leagues? I mean, you had to calculate it all out yourself. Oh comb the box scores in the newspaper every morning. Get yep. to watch that one national game a week. I mean, it took a lot to know what we know now. At that point. But I mean, Mark, at that point, you knew that your center fielder or your left fielder was leading off. That's yes. your leadoff batter, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Not so much the case at this point. But I mean, it still happens quite a bit. But and especially now that stolen bases is really coming back into play. But if we look at the position that has the most guys leading off right now it is actually through the 12th it was left field with 67 times that had happened but in second place was shortstop at 61 hmm. which back in you know the the 80s and the 90s shortstop was there for their glove and you know you right. think ozzy smith you might not be getting on base that much 75 so i guess in second place is, is second base and then shortstop so that middle infield has become a a big thing for leadoff guys. Let's see. Also, uh, center field and right field, 55 and 57. Third base, 24 players have led off playing third base. 12 designated hitters. That makes sense. Somebody just getting the day off. Three catchers have led off. Wow. You would have never seen that in the 80s no. and 90s. And 16 first basemen have led off. That's also strange. Yeah, so it's uh, it was just interesting to compare back to, you know, when I really put a lot of thought into something like this. This is kind of upside down from what that was. So I thought that was interesting just to, just to notice where people are playing defensively when they lead off. So, Mark, we mentioned we're recording that. Well, we didn't mention when we're recording this, but recording this on Monday, which is the 17th, which is also Patriots Day. It's uh, the holiday celebrated mainly in uh, in New England, uh, but it commemorates Paul Revere's ride. Of course, the Red Sox always play a home game very early for us on the West Coast day game so that fans can watch the game and then go watch the marathon runners cross the finish line from the uh, Boston Marathon, just a couple of blocks away. Well, Red Sox legend and Hall of Famer Jim Rice, in his career, hit 384 home runs. That's regular and postseason, just so we don't get emails. That equals 26.2 miles of home run trot, the exact same distance in the Boston Marathon. Whoa. Yeah. So he ran really slow year after year Boston Marathon. Yeah, he probably would have come in last. 
Uh, yeah. He wasn't really booking it. Uh, one of only two players to do that. Matt Williams also did that, but he obviously didn't play for the Red Sox, so that didn't fit as well. Pitch clock. Uh, how are we liking it? I'm a fan. I have to say it's definitely won me over. I have not heard one person say they don't like the pitch clock. <laughs> I am. I I mean, it really, you get used to the game being what it is, but there's something, some added value to it when it's just, it's a little bit quicker and you don't have to wait as long in between. And I'm trying to say this as someone who doesn't work in baseball and gets to leave as soon as the last out is recorded because short games are good games too. We've had a 214 and a 203. So not bad. I I get it. I love it too. And uh, the one thing I do miss is when it's tight, late, runner on, maybe go ahead or tying run on base. I don't mind more time between pitches at that point because it kind of adds to the tension. Mm -hmm. But now there's a new aspect is it's tight, but you're kind of up against it. So it's kind of like basketball or football where you're playing with that clock and you got to make a decision quickly and you might need to hurry yourself and it might change the outcome. But yeah, I, I really like it. I'm not going to lie. There are some consequences, though. One, the games, as you said, are shorter. So what are teams doing? They're selling beer longer. Yes. (laughs) They're selling it into the eighth inning now. They don't have as much time to sell beer. And uh, we all know uh, that $16 beers must have a decent profit margin. Well, you don't make tickets. uh, You don't make money from tickets. That's for sure. You make money from the concessions. So definitely. I am... A little concerned about the throwover limit, though. I'm still absolutely not sold on it. Obviously, it's increasing stolen bases. Guys are running wild. I saw somebody yesterday steal second and on the next pitch steal third. I love it, but it's becoming, I think, a little too easy because you only have those limited number of throws over there. I think they're going to have to tweak that. Maybe not during the season, but I think they're going to have to tweak that. My question, though, is now that there is a limit to throwing over, can we bring back the fake the throw to third, throw to first? (laughs) Now now would be the time for it. Yeah, I mean, because that was, it was taken away because guys were doing that and it was taking to, it was, you know, adding to the length of the games. I'm a, you know, big proponent of that. So I'd love to see that back. I say facetiously. (laughs) Yes. Uh, expansion. So uh, obviously we've talked quite a bit here about expansion, not relocation so much, but expansion. Uh, Portland and Nashville are two cities that are really pushing hard to get an expansion Major League Baseball team. New city has thrown their hat in the ring. Salt Lake City. Ooh. So this is something that I'm paying a lot of attention to. All of my teams in the, the show or uh, OTP baseball, are I always uh, manage the Salt Lake Bees or the Buzz, depending on which, uh, which I'm feeling. So I'm, I'm very interested in this. Salt Lake has a great minor league ballpark where the, the Buzz and now the Bees play. I love when I go back going to a game there, but it's only uh, like 20 years old. It still looks beautiful. It's got a beautiful view of the mountains. They're building a new one. <laughs> They're building a new AAA stadium in wow. a couple of years. Yeah, they, is, sure, uh, they support their baseball there, that's for sure. Yeah, they, they do draw pretty well. I mean, it's a good family activity there in a place where family activities are 
something that will always draw a crowd. Now, the group that is vying for this expansion team is interesting because it includes Dale Murphy and Jeremy Guthrie, who are both Utah residents. So that that was interesting. Mm-hmm. A couple of names that we've certainly Dale Murphy. We talk about quite a bit on this show. Let's see, uh, Mark, you and I, we talked before we started recording about Jackie Robinson Day was uh, last Sunday. Love it. A lot of great history stuff going on throughout broadcast. I watched uh, I watched three or four games on Sunday and everybody uh, was talking about Jackie all day. As someone who works in baseball, you and I don't so much like Jackie Robinson Day because of the uniforms. Yeah. That makes it a little bit tougher when everybody's wearing number 42. It does. And no no, no uh, names on the back. But as an right. A's fan who was already not familiar with the guys on the team because they change every two days, I hate Jackie Robinson Day. I absolutely have no idea who is out there <laughs> without the names <laughs> on the back of the jerseys. I'm, I mean, I'm asking when I'm watching, you know, on a regular Tuesday when they've got their name and number, who, who is this guy? Yeah, that yeah. was tough on Tuesday. Oh, yeah, no, our, our friends at uh, the Mariners were having trouble telling who was throwing in the bullpen. Yep. You had two guys out there. Well, uh, I don't know who they are. They're number 42. Look it up. It's uh, it's always a thing. Hey, Mark, we talked about the no-hitter loss by the Trash Pandas last week, mm-hmm. which is just fun to talk about the Trash Pandas. Now that it's uh, it's been a week since that, a lot of uh, researchers have gone back and done the research for us, and I got a couple of interesting facts about that game. The record for most runs scored in the modern era in which a team gave up no hits in the major leagues. That would be Andy Hawkins. I remember that. Yeah, that would be. He only gave up four runs uh, without giving up a hit. Right. I I actually very much remember that game. I absolutely do, too. Yeah. I mean, it was unfathomable to me at that point in 1990. I was still in high school and I could not fathom that you could throw a no hitter and lose. So, yeah, it it did not make any sense, but he figured out a way. Yeah. Now it's now I see it and I'm like, oh, that is very interesting. But, you know, I get it. It's it's baseball these days. It can happen. Yeah. In the minor leagues, though, this has happened. uh, This has happened a couple of times before. Do you remember the old Pony League in 1948? Not like the the high school pony league, but the actual minor league pony league. Don't remember it from being there, but yes, I I remember (laughs) discussing it. Well, Lewis Blackmore of the Wellsville Red Sox, he lost a game seven to five. It didn't give up a hit. So same score happened before. But Blackmore walked 17 batters that day. Oh, my goodness. Why even take a swing? Wow. I know. I'm surprised he only gave up seven runs when he walked 17. But as if that wasn't bad enough, the game also suffered from one of those great minor league delays that nowadays you would only see in the Oakland Coliseum uh, in the big leagues. But during the third inning, there was a lengthy skunk delay. Ooh, ooh. Yeah. According to an account in the Buffalo News, quote, the skunk explored the center of the diamond, then exited via the left field while spectators and players threw missiles but got no hits, end quote. No hits. By the way, in the second game of that doubleheader, the Trash Pandas did win last week and uh, gave up exactly one hit. (laughs) In a doubleheader, they gave up one hit and split. 
Amazing. Yeah, that's incredible. Totally bizarre. All right, Mark, uh, as we mentioned, this show is debuting on Wednesday for the first time. That is April 19th. A couple of debuts from April 19th throughout baseball history. First of all, in 1901, Jim Delahante, the brother of Ed. I believe there were three Delahante brothers. Ed Delahante, episode number 36, way back. If you haven't heard that one, go back because he was an interesting guy and uh, passed in a very interesting, mysterious way. Mm-hmm. Jim, definitely not as prolific as Ed, but still had a really good career as both a position player and a pitcher. Shohei Otani much. He played for the Orphans, the Bean Eaters, and the Tip Tops, which are all Hall of Fame names for sure, for team names. Definitely. Definitely there. Enos Slaughter, 1938. Mark, you talked about Enos's mad dash in Game 7 of the 1946 World Series before. Yep. All uh, pretty much caused by a kind of lackadaisical play by Boston's Johnny Pesky. That was interesting. A Hall of Famer, 1985, Enos Slaughter was inducted. 1949, making his debut today, Minnie Minoso. His major league debut, 1948. But he also played three years in the Negro Leagues before that. And then he also went ahead and played in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s. Specifically, 1976 and 1980, where he came back for a game each to play in five different decades. That's that's a pretty interesting career. That's a, that's a dedicated pitcher. Well, he, yeah, but he was uh, not a pitcher. But uh, Except for that. <laughs> That would have made it even more interesting. (laughs) In that uh, 1976, I think he played in maybe it was three games, but he did get a hit. Uh, In 1980, he did not. I think it was 12 years in between hits for Minnie Minosa at one point. And then 1972, Don Stanhouse, one of the, the prime patron saints of the show. That was episode 130. I would have sworn we did that like four months ago. But that's from episode 130, if you want to go learn more about Stan the Man Unusual and Don Stanhouse. All right, so those are our debuts for today, April 19th. Uh, Mark, this is episode number 209. We have done a uh, Tales from the Dugout for a little bit. And uh, let's, uh, why, don't, why don't you say we do that and let's uh, hit a couple of shorter stories that uh, don't take up that much time, aren't worth, uh, aren't worthy of a whole show. Well, they might be worthy, but they're not going to be able to fill out a whole show. So uh, I'm going to have you go first. What do you got? Well, I, I was thinking the other day, which is odd for me, but wow. I was. Yeah, you write down the date and time. Yeah, uh, I told my wife she didn't believe me. But uh, I was thinking, who are the greatest baseball players of all time? you know, the top 10. And uh, I thought there's got to be a definitive list. Maybe we should come up with one. Our listeners should come up. And then I actually found a definitive list of the top 10 baseball players of all time. And I know it's true. This is it. In the Encyclopedia Britannica. Oh, okay. So if anybody asks, we can just tell them. Yeah. Just shut them down if they, if they argue. Just, just for some stats here, the Encyclopedia Britannica has been around since 1768. In the United Kingdom, in 1901, it moved to the United States. It's been around a long time. It's uh, been published first through six editions all the way through 1826. 2010 was the last printed version. So they've been online, you know, ever since then. And I found their list of the 10 greatest baseball players of all time. And so now we, here, here it is. Now we'll know. From now on, 
we can say he's one of the greatest of all time. And, one of the and, 10 and greatest of all time. That's yeah. right. All right. So here we're going to go through them fairly quickly. Number 10, Roger Clemens. Wow, I think I know which way this list is going. <laughs> now, is this from a printed version from 2003? No, this is online. And let me tell you, it says this was written by a guy named Adam Augustine. And it says right here, and I quote, fact checked by the editors of Encyclopedia Britannica. All right. I so I just took my shoulders. Yeah, I guess Roger so. Clemens is the 10th best player of all time. Okay. All right. Number nine, Honus Wagner. All right, I can get on board with so, that one. <laughs> Clemens and Honus. Number eight, Stan Musial. Oh, I thought you were going to say Stan the Man Unusual. But okay. All right. All right. I'm on board. Musial, Still, yeah. Seven, just ahead of Stan the Man, Ty Cobb. Okay. So, okay. I a little got low Number for six, Ty Cobb, I think, but okay. Little. Number six, the big train, Walter Johnson. Okay. Yeah. All right, because we're mixing pitchers and hitters. All right, number five, according to Encyclopedia Britannica, Hank Aaron. Okay. Uh, number four is a guy who probably is the greatest pure hitter of all time, Ted Williams. Okay. Yeah, we're running out of spots, and I still got a lot of names in my head. Yeah, I know. Well, we're getting there. Uh, number three, of course, is Barry Bonds. <laughs> okay. The third greatest of all time. Number two. One of my picks for, for the greatest of all time, Mr. Willie Mays. So they did well here. Okay. And the number one of all time, of course, is Bay Aaron Ruth. Judge. Oh, oh, <laughs> that's my bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so there you have it. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the 10 greatest players of all time. And I, at first I was going to question it because I'm like, well, what do the British know? But as I said, it moved <laughs> to the United States in 1901 and it's been fact checked. Yeah. By the editors. And so we know it for there's the facts, folks. I don't care if you uh, disagree or not. I'm, I'm going with what the encyclopedia yeah. says because they're always right. I guess this is the last show of the podcast because they yeah. definitively uh, answered the question. Two pitchers, uh, including Roger Clemens, <laughs> Cy <laughs> yes. Young, nowhere to be found, interestingly. No <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, that's uh, that's like the kind of list that my mom might have put together just from perusing like the baseball encyclopedia printed in the year 2000. I, I really enjoyed it. It, it. I came across it on accident and I just started reading it and went, well, it's fact checked. <laughs> we know it. Boy. And I could see some like, uh, you know, lower tier cable TV show that doesn't yeah. know anything about baseball, but needs a top 10 list using that. And right. <laughs> just with unironically, even. Wow. Okay. Uh, should we add There's Wax Facts Hero if if any of the ten greatest players of all times gets pulled that you automatically win? I think I think that's only fair. Uh, wait, they could actually be in there, so no. Yeah, I know. I think we we could. Well, Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds. There you go. Clemens and Bonds will be in there. I I I, I don't want that. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Well, this, uh, I've got a story here from somebody we've talked about quite a bit is definitely gotta be in the, in the upper echelons of, of all time major league baseball players. I am sure that the fact checkers at the encyclopedia Britannica have probably never heard of him though, judging by their list. But uh, if you can, uh, can we, let's transport ourselves back to Philadelphia, 1906. 
So first thing I'm going to do if I'm in Philadelphia in 1906 is I'm going to track down Rube Waddell. Ooh, yes, Rube. One, Rube, uh, nickname, uh, 80 grade. Pitcher, 81 grade, I'm going to say, you know, just incredible talent. Character, probably an 81 grade as well, which, of course, the scouting scale only goes to 80. Uh, Again, if you have to explain the joke, it's probably not that funny in the first place. (laughs) But uh, Rube Waddell, just an incredible baseball player, could basically... But he could have been mayor of Philadelphia at this point, fresh off the 1905 season, which saw George Edward Waddell go 27 and 10 with a 1.48 ERA, struck out 287 over 328 innings to lead the league again. He had the run of the town. He could do what he wanted. So one night, Rube asked his teammate Topsy Hartzell if he wanted to have the time of his life out on the town with, uh, with old Rube. Topsy couldn't refuse this offer. Who could? Topsy, by the way, once recorded 11 putouts in one game in left field in 1901. He did Topsy. Yeah, could not take the day off in left field that day. So out on the town they go, starting out with some dinner. Rube orders a, ni- a nice whitefish. Uh, I, I, is there a fish called whitefish or is it just mean it's not it's salmon? A, <laughs> I don't know. It's a general... Uh, like a, like a, a cod or, a, or not species, but a genus. I don't know. Cod or a piranha, maybe he ordered. I don't maybe, know. Maybe, yeah, I don't know what color goldfish are. Goldfish, yeah. That, you got to order a lot of those, though. They tend not to have a lot of meat on the bones. But no. Anyway, no. Uh, he didn't get to actually taste it, though, because as he was served his whitefish, he spotted somebody at another table across the room who, according to this article from the Chattanooga News, he, quote, didn't like, end quote. That's all it said. He didn't like this guy. <laughs> so uh, sometimes you just don't like somebody or maybe this person is wronged the great Rube at some point. I don't know. But Rube couldn't let this go. This couldn't stand. So what did he do? What anybody in this situation would have done. He marched over to this guy with his white fish and smacked the dude over the head with his dinner. Reuben and Topsy were asked to leave the restaurant <laughs> and, uh, you know, go elsewhere. So with dinner settled, they headed to the theater where Rube was allowed a backstage tour during the show. So while the play is going on, which is a wild Western melodrama, there was a lot of shooting and gunplay in this. The two ball players were escorted behind the scenes to see how things were run. As they are backstage, there was a particularly dramatic scene where the hero proclaimed his love for the heroine. The theater, you could have heard a pin drop. Everybody just gripped by the drama. As I mentioned, a lot of shooting, a lot of guns. There was a table that had all the prop guns there just off stage that the actors could grab as they go on to to uh, to do their part well this table proved too much of a temptation for old rube he picked one up and fired it off right at this dramatic moment Uh, you can imagine it did not go over well and rube and topsy's theater experience was over as they were once again booted out of an establishment and has not to return rube however was unfazed he knew of another theater where one of his friends was performing so off they went to another location This show drew an audience because it included a large cage with real lions in it as part of the finale. Like the theater before, Rube and Topsy were treated like royalty, whisked backstage for a tour, and, uh, you know, just kind of see how things are working during the show. Well, 
you put Rube Waddell and a cage full of lions together and oh. uh, something's going to happen, right? Oh, yeah. Well, one of these lions let his tail fall outside of the cage. So Rube thought it would be hilarious to pull said tail. <laughs> As you can uh. imagine, lions don't really like to be harassed like that when they're already in a cage with other lions and then you pull their tail they're probably gonna react. Well, the lion roared and spun around quicker than Rube could react, caught the arm of the pitcher, ripping the sleeve of his shirt off and leaving a long red claw mark down his arm. (laughs) Why? This guy did a lot of things where I always ask why. Yeah, I mean, that's why I said, if you were in Philadelphia in 1906 and you get to hang out with Rube Waddell, you gotta go, right? This is- Oh man, chance of a lifetime. Yeah, so for the second time that night, the two were quickly escorted out and asked not to come back. So heading home finally, missing a sleeve and now with a large mark on his arm. The article, by the way, did not say if this was his pitching arm or not. From Rube's reaction, this kind of seems like it was probably just a regular Tuesday night for him. But he wanted to make sure that he and Topsy were on the same page when they got to the ballpark the next day. So Rube laid out the story for Topsy in case uh, Connie Mack, the manager of the Philadelphia Athletics, uh, asked why Rube now had a long scratch on his person. Well, according to Topsy, this is what Rube said. Quote, Tops, don't forget now. We had a row with a couple of guys that said Connie Mack was a no good son of a hyena. And one of them (laughs) slashed me with a knife when I defended Connie's reputation. Who knows? Maybe we can get him for 20 bucks each if we tell him it good enough. End quote. That's great. <laughs> While I think I'd probably give my left arm to be able to go out on a night on the town with Rue Baudel, Topsy vowed that he would never again accompany the pitcher. I can't believe it. Oh, I, I can. I mean, this is Rue Baudel. He's distracted by puppies and fire trucks. Uh, he wrestled alligators in the offseason. Just some good stuff from Rue Baudel. He loved to chase those fire trucks. Yeah, he did. All right, what else? Yeah, do you get anything else? Yeah, just real quick. Um, I, I uh, was reading about game six of the 86 World Series, and it was, uh, you know, what we remember about it. Everybody that's a baseball fan remembers, knows what happened, Bill Buckner, et cetera, Ray Knight, and the winning run, and so on. But I, I, I came across something that I had forgotten about, and, and that was Parachute Guy. Oh, yeah. I was I was worried guy? you were yeah I don't I definitely remember Pritchard. I was worried you were going to talk about the two older women behind home plate that were doing the the traveling sign with their hands that annoyed the heck out of me. But, oh my gosh, I will never forget them. <laughs> I hate them, and I see people do it sometimes still, and I want to go punch them. But Every yes, pitch. I remember parachute guy. It was early yeah. in that game. It was in the first couple innings. Yeah, and he came zinging in. Uh, with a go met sign attached to his ropes and landed on the field. And he, it was nuts. You know, uh, he was charged with uh, criminal trespass, reckless endangerment, and I quote, and anything else we can think of. Um, of course, the Mets came back and won that game. Could it have been partly to do with, uh, with Parachute Man? Oh, I think um, not partly. Yeah, I think probably 98%. And the other 2% were the women behind home plate moving their hands. And this is, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. I'll just read it to you. December 10th of that year, Sergio, who claimed that several Mets players helped him get a lawyer, 
pled guilty to a criminal trespass charge in exchange for prosecutors dropping a more serious charge of reckless endangerment. He was sentenced to community service and fined. However, Sergio, that's our hero, was later held in contempt of court for refusing to reveal the name of the pilot who flew the plane from which he jumped. As a result, in May 1987, he was sentenced to six months in federal prison. Wow. Federal prison. <laughs> yes. And not for jumping out of the plane, but for not telling who the pilot was. But, you know, good for him. You yeah, know, he, he, no, no squealing. Good friend. Man. Yeah. You got a he's got he's got his uh, pilots back. I read somewhere about parachute guy that that was all on a dare. That he was talking about it like the a couple of games before, and his buddies, you know, yeah, right. I dare you to do that. And then <laughs> they're all watching the game, and here he comes with his <laughs> Go Mets, uh, you know, spray painted on a bed sheet. Wow, yeah, I had kind of forgotten about that until I came across that article, and I went, "Oh man, I remember Parachute Guy." Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know that players helped him get a lawyer and stuff. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, pretty interesting. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up our uh, our Tales from the Dugout portion portion of this show. Uh, I went real country there. <laughs> uh, Mark, it is time to head into the final segment of the show. It is time for everybody's favorite. It's when you and I, we look each other in the eyes, not romantically, but with some serious intentions, because uh, it's time to get into game mode here. It's time for everybody's favorite portion of the show. It's time for Wax Packs Heroes. So important, in fact, that it's got its own theme that sounds like this. Wax All right, we are uh, into week three of the new season here. We split the first homestand. Both Mark and I both have one win. My win was much more spectacular, but you know, it's in the in the standings. It, it looks all the same. So it's a one. It's a one win. It's a one and one. Yeah, but we no know how spectacular. We know. We know. Uh, so if you are new here, this is what we do. We've got a couple of packs from the Wax Packs era. In this case, it is just straight up wax. Two packs of 1988 Fleers. We're gonna open said packs, and uh, Mark's gonna get one pack, I'm gonna get the other. We are gonna use the Baseball Reference War of the Year of the Pack, like I said, 1988. We're gonna add those up. Whoever at the end has the highest amount will get the win, but we got a couple of extra rules to add or subtract to that. First of all, anything on the player's face. That means uh, glasses of any sort, flip downs, big science teacher looking things, mustaches, eye black, anything like that, you're gonna get an extra 10th of a point. If they're wearing real stirrups, which I did wear in my game. Of course I, you did, you were fashionable, my yes, friend. I had to wear the real strips. You're gonna get an extra 10th of a point, but if you're wearing the two and ones, which I'm probably gonna wear next week, cause I got a lot of, uh, a lot of scrapes and bruises I gotta protect now, uh, it is a minus 10th of a point. Any awards that were won that year by the player, Rookie of the Year, Cy Young, MVP, All-Star, Gold Glove, etc. that's a half a point each. If there is a Hall of Famer on the card, whether or not they're the focus of the card or not, get an extra point there, cause they're a Hall of Famer. If Ricky Henderson or Nolan Ryan make an appearance on any of these cards, regardless of whose pack, I'm going to get five points if Ricky's there. Mark's going to get five if Nolan Ryan is there. If the uh, card that we pulled is mentioned in the Mitchell report, minus half a point. That's not cool, bro. 
Also, if there is any acting appearances or pop culture references, a half a point for that. If they appeared, though, on Sabrina the Teenage Witch, The Simpsons, or Seinfeld, you get a whole extra point for that because those are kind of uh, our, our, our favorites. And then, Mark, you and I are each going to pick a team. If my team comes up in either pack, I'm going to get a half a point. If yours, you get a half a point. Which team would you like to go with? Today, I'm going to go with the Kansas City Royals. Uh I uh, let's see. You just talked about uh, about the parachute guy and uh, the Mets, who are my number two team, came in and swept my number one team this week. Uh, so I'm gonna go with the Mets. There you go. All right, uh, Mark. Uh, pack in the left hand and right hand. Which one would you like? Right hand, sir. Right hand. All right. Last week, because you're the four time defending champ, I kind of just make my own rules in terms of the pack. I let you pick the pack and then I stole it. But now yes. I think you're on to that. So I think you picked the right pack thinking I was going to then take the right pack and steal it from you. But I'm not going to. I'm going to keep you with the right pack. Mm, okay. Well, we'll see if my strategy works. <laughs> and uh, you know what? I'm going to go ahead. And I'm going to go first with the left pack here. All right. All right. So here are uh, here are my cards here. First, we're going to start off with a pitcher for the California Angels at this point. Dwayne Buse. It's, I, I, I've seen this name before. I don't know how you pronounce it, but it's it's spelled juice, but with a B. Oh, it's Bice. Bice. Dwayne Miami Bice. Oh, look at that. You even had, knew the nickname. That's very impressive. It, <laughs> there's a reason why you got this gig. That's right. Not just your look. I was going to say good looks, but I couldn't go that far without laughing. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Dwayne Bice. This is a great, uh, a great shot here. It's it's. He's he's getting his picture taken. It's it's during batting practice. It's at the 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 big A, but he has this batting practice jersey, which is tucked into his pants very tightly, by the way. But it's mesh, like you could see through it. Like teenagers used to wear these with no shirts underneath them, like kind of mesh. Like you you're not hiding anything underneath them. Interesting look. Hmm. Uh, Dwayne Bice, uh, let's see, three years in the big leagues, two with California, one with Toronto, 1988 with the Angels, two and four, 5.88 ERA, 41 innings pitched, 38 strikeouts, a 66 ERA plus, and I'm going to start out with a minus point nine war. Wow. Jeez. Uh, he does have a mustache, so that'll only be a minus point eight. Obviously, no awards were won by uh, Mr. Bice here. That's not a good way to start out. Jeez. Um, <laughs> Dwayne. That's your closer right there. Yeah, that's, uh, I've, I've had better starts than uh, Dwayne Bice. Oh, wow. Get this. Bice is one of the original managing partners of Upper Deck Trading Company. Really? Wasn't yeah. that Wally Joyner's company? At one point? Uh, uh, I don't see anything here about Wally World. Bice was uh, in downtown Yorba Linda one evening looking for a particular Chinese restaurant in the area. Went into a baseball card shop called The Upper Deck to ask the person if he knew where this was. They struck up a friendship. Obviously, a, a card shop owner, uh, if he's friends with a major league baseball player, is going <laughs> to take advantage of that. And they started Upper Deck. Wow. I did not know nice. that. That's pretty cool. So a little bit more on Dwayne Bice. Um, Upper Deck, its first year, came out with a couple of sample cards, Wally Joyner and Dwayne Bice. That's why I thought Joyner uh -huh. had something to do with it. Well, you know, and Dwayne Bice, same player level as Wally Joyner. I can see yeah. why those two would be the... Of course. Well, they, Upper Deck didn't have 
permission to do that. So they, there was a threatened lawsuit and they decided to settle out of court. Wally Joyner took a $10,000 payday. Weiss asked for his in company stock and he sold when he made $17 million. <laughs> wow. That is uh, probably $17 million more than he made as a professional baseball <laughs> player. <laughs> oh my gosh. What a, what a decision. I'll take the 10 grand. <laughs> I just, I thought that was amazing. Wow. Dwayne, I think Dwayne Vice is going to be like a, uh, like an honorary member of the two strike noise family. Now that's pretty impressive. All right. Number two here. Uh, I'm going to get some go. Oh, wow, I'm going to get some good extra bonus points for this, but uh, this is a great looking card in Wrigley field shortstop for the fills. Juan Samuel. Once then, well, hey, you know what? He could always hit. And he could always uh, have a good uh, head of hair underneath that underneath that hat. That's right. Too. Let's see. Juan Samuel, 16 years in the big league, seven with the Phillies, three with the Dodgers, three with Toronto, and then a bunch of other teams for short stints in 1988 with Philly off his uh, off an all-star year. 157 games, 243 average, 298 on base, 12 home runs, 67 RBI, a 93 OPS plus. And all of that is good for a war of minus point two. <laughs> I'm going the wrong way here. Uh, now, Juan, though, does have some flip down sunglasses. He's got a mustache and he's got real stirrup. So I am going to get a positive point one out of that. This is a good looking card. He's wearing those Phillies powder blue uniforms too, the road ones. So this oh, is a, I, I doubt we're going to get a better looking card than this one. Uh, let's see, the next year in 89, he was traded from the Phillies to the Mets for Lenny Dykstra and Roger McDowell. Juan Samuel, Rookie of the Year in 1984, in which he also tied, or uh, I'm sorry, uh, broke a rookie single-season record for steals with 72, which was previously held by Tim Raines with 71. Mm. All right, so uh, I'm still at minus .7 after two cards. I'm well on my way to my usual score. But this one, uh, this one's going to, ooh, this is going to be a tough decision. 1988, I've got a pitching magic card. On it, I have got Mike Scott and Oral Hershiser. Ooh, wow. So this is 1988. So remember that the Dodgers won the World Series that year basically because of Oral Hershiser. Mm-hmm. Mike Scott, now if this was 1986, I think I would take Mike Scott in a heartbeat. Yeah. Plus he's got glasses on. But I think I'm going to go with Oral in 1988 because I think this was also the year that he set the uh, the mark for uh, consecutive innings, scoreless oh, yeah, innings, right? And yeah, that's right. I believe you're right. So I'm going to go with Oral. What what is your what would your inclination be? Uh, I would probably go with Hershiser. All right. Well, let's see what we got here for the Bulldog. 1988. Good news. All star. So I've got that. Uh, even better. You better news. Cy Young. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, gold glove and sixth in the MVP voting. So I, I like where this is going so far. Uh, 23 and eight with a 2.26 ERA, 15 complete games. Eight of them were shutouts. Led the league in both those categories and wins. Led the league in innings, pitched 267 and struck out 178. And that is good for a ERA plus of 149. And uh, that is good for a war of 7.2. Oh, nice one. 7.2. He was an all-star, won the Cy Young and a gold glove. So that's one and a half extra points. So that's 8.7. Let's see. Uh, not a Hall of Famer. Doesn't have any glasses on. 
I'm going to guess, though, that he has been in some TV or something that we can talk about. But uh, we'll see about that here in a minute. Let's just, for uh, for fun here, let's just look up and see 7.2. I seriously doubt that Mike Scott's going right. to be able to beat a 7.2. Uh, let's see, 1988. He still went 14-8 and eight with a 2.92 ERA. That's not bad at all. 4.7. So yeah. I made the right choice there. 86, 8.4 and won the Cy Young. So wow. yeah, definitely. I think we, we nailed that. He would have, we would have taken Mike Scott in 86, but absolutely 88, definitely the way, way to go here. So uh, some things here that I'm going to, we'll, we'll put up for debate whether or not I'm going to get any extra points for this. Uh, became a big poker player after, after retiring. Uh, like played that. a number of events, including the 2008 World Series of Poker. Uh, let's see, he won in the Poker Stars Caribbean Adventure fifty-four thousand dollars in two thousand and eight. Nice. Hershiser also made a tradition of giving an autographed baseball to the poker player who eliminated him. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Also, now here are the things that might get me an extra point. He was a guest star on the ninety-two episode of the Christian Children's video series McGee and Me, which I mean, <laughs> we're all familiar with McGee and Me, right? I hate to tell you this, but I am actually. Well, then I'm assured a half a point here. I have aces and nephews. <laughs> the uh, episode was titled Take Me Out to the Ball Game. And on an appearance of The Tonight Show after the 88 World Series, Johnny Carson talked him into singing hymns for the audience. I'm going to say that. I'm going to say I get a half a point for that. I, I'm with you. I'm All with right. you. All right. So that takes me to 8.5. Next card is a pitcher for the Cardinals, Joe McGrain. Joe McGrain. He was around for a while, wasn't he? Well, he was a left-handed pitcher. Uh, <laughs> let's see, only eight years. So I'm going to guess he probably ran into some uh, shoulder or elbow issues. Uh, six with the Cardinals, two with the Angels, one with the White Sox in 96. In 1988, led the league in ERA with 2.18, a 5-9 and nine record, 165 innings pitched. Uh, let's see, 100 strikeouts, even a 161 ERA plus. I like that. And all of that equals a 3.7 war. P- pitching's my strong suit, except for good old... Oh, I guess. How am I going to come back on this one? Except for good old juice with a B. <laughs> That's all right. He's a multi-millionaire. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, McGrain, first round draft pick by the Cardinals in the 85 draft. No real acting. Uh, he is t- uh, a member of the MLB network. I remember. I think he's still there, as a matter of fact. All right, next I got a pitcher for the Yankees, Bill Gullickson. Let's see, nickname Sugar. That's usually not a nickname that a white guy gets, but okay. (laughs) Uh, 14 years in the big leagues, seven with Montreal, four with Detroit, and then some other teams. 1988, uh, bad news for me, he missed 88 and 89, I'm guessing because of injuries. In 91, wow, he led the the American League and wins with a 20 and 9 mark. Wow. Yeah, for Detroit. But uh, overall, 14 years, 162 wins, 136 losses, a 3.93 ERA, and a war of 23.6 that I am going to get nothing out of. He was the second overall pick in the 1977 draft by the Expos. Gotcha. 88, he uh, left the Yankees and went and pitched uh, for the Yamaguri Giants for two seasons. Good for him. He stayed. (laughs) 
right on. It, it, we've discovered that there are those who stay and those who just can't do it. Yep. He said of his two years there, the only English words that he saw were Sony and Mitsubishi. <laughs> Which, wow, that's funny. Is that now, I'm wondering, was he being unironically funny or, or what? I don't know. My, my guess would be that he was joking. Okay, well, we'll agree to disagree. Okay. <laughs> All right, next. Oh, okay, I'm, I like this guy. Hopefully, he'll get me some points here. Nickname Slick, outfielder for the Bucks, Andy Van Slyke. Let's see, Andy Van Slyke, 13 years in big, in big leagues. 13 years in the big leagues, eight with the Bucks, four with the Cardinals, and then one for the Phillies, one for the Orioles. In 1988, good news for me, he was an all-star that year, his first uh, of three Led the league in triples with 15, hit 288, 354, or 345, excuse me, on base, 25 long balls, 100 RBI, 30 stolen bases. I like it. And a 144 OPS plus. Led the league with 13 sacrifice flies. He was an all star and a gold glover as well. This is looking good. 6.4. So that'll be a 7.4 with a bonus. Nothing else on this is going to. Help me out, but I'll, I'll take the 7.4. Nice. Now, this is a, a, another shot. So here, well, he's in the big A during BP again. So we know where Fleer was uh, taking their pictures. Uh, Andy is wearing a mesh batting practice top tucked into his Sansa belt pants, just like uh, Dwayne Juice with a B was. But he's wearing a black T-shirt underneath it, so you can't see through it. So I think that's a good much it's better, a much better look. Much better look. Uh, of course, of course, uh, father of Scott Van Slyke, who played uh, for a couple of years in the mid-2010s. First round draft pick, sixth overall by the Cardinals, and was eventually traded with Spanky Lavalier for Tony Pena of the Bucks. Oh, wow. I remember uh, hearing about that trade in the on the 1988 Tops podcast, and I think uh, Mike Lavalier was... I don't remember if it was Spanky or if it was Pena that was uh, upset about that trade. It was kind of hurt about that trade, but nothing that's going to help me off the field either, but uh, I'll take it. That was a good one. All right. Uh, pitcher here for the twins. This is not a, the Fleer photographer did not do George Frazier any favors here with this picture. Uh-oh. George Frazier looks like a wish.com Dennis Eckersley here. That's, that's how I'm going to describe him. Uh, hat a little bit too big for him. It's pulled down all the way. He's got some big ears uh, sticking out there, but he does have a mustache. So congratulations. You are also a big leaguer for 10 years. Would have never guessed. St. Louis Cubs and the Mets for three apiece and then split time with the Twins and Cleveland in 1988. Unfortunately, that was his first year of retirement. Oh, bummer for you. So uh, I will only get the mustache money as it is there, a tenth of a point. I am going to just go out on a limb here and say that George probably didn't do anything off the field that's going to help me either. Well, he's got a daughter called Georgia who was crowned Miss Oklahoma in 2015. Wow. Uh, He also has a son, Matthew, served as a detective for the Tulsa Police Department and appeared on the A&E TV show, The First 48. Wow. I've watched that. I have too. Wow. Okay. Surprise us, George. All right, so I'm at 19.7. I got two cards left here. I got a pitcher for the Cincinnati Reds, Dennis Rasmussen. Dennis Rasmussen, 12 years in the big leagues, five with the Padres, four with the Yanks, three with the Royals, two with the Royals, or uh, two with the Reds, and one for the Cubs. 
Like if he would have started a year earlier, he could have had six years with one club and extended his his uh, you know to go six five four three two one with clubs. But I guess he wasn't thinking about that. In 1988, he split time with the Reds and the Padres. Overall, went 16 and 10 with a 3.43 ERA, 2000, 2000, 204 innings pitched, 112 strikeouts, a 102 ERA plus, and that is good. Wow. With the uh, with the Reds, he had a minus 0.8 or with the Padres, he had a 2.9 on the plus side. Wow. So that'll be a 2.1 plus he's got real stirrups. So that'll be a 2.2 for me. Wow, this has turned into a really good pack. You've set your standards pretty high here for me. I'm, I'm a little nervous. Even with a really bad start with uh, Juice yeah. with the B there. But uh, overall, first round draft pick by the California Angels in 1988. Uh, he was traded for Tommy John. How about that? In 1982, uh, grew up in California, nearly left, nearly lost his left foot at the age of 14 when a speeding car knocked him off his bike. The <sighs> fall severed his foot, which was hanging by the Achilles tendon. Um, wow. Jeez. Wow. Oh my gosh, that's frightening. That is very frightening. But man, he turned it around and had a, a nice major league career. He sure did. All right. Uh, also, apparently operates uh, a Dairy Grills in Trenton, Trenton, New, no, Trenton, Michigan. I don't know if he still does, but at one point he did. His grandfather, Bill Brubaker, played in the major leagues. Nicknamed hmm. Wilbur, or his name, his name was Wilbur Lee Bill Brubaker. Now, if they didn't call him Wild Bill, I'm going to be very disappointed. <laughs> I would hope, I would hope so. All right, and my final card is outfielder for the Toronto Blue Jays. It is Rick Leach. Rick Leach, 10 years in the big leagues, five with Toronto, three with Detroit, and then Texas and the Giants for a single season. In 1988, with the Blue Jays in 87 games, he hit 276, 336 on base, no home runs to speak of, 23 RBI and a 94 OPS plus. And that is good for a .4, shocked that that's in the positive, .4. I am going to go ahead and say I'm going to need to award him a uh, two-tenths of a point of a mustache. This thing is thick. From the bottom of his nose all the way down to his upper lip. It is it is much, much thickness to be had. So that'll be a .8 for me. Rick Leach was a uh, the starting quarterback for the University of Michigan uh, and took them to three consecutive Big Ten Conference Championships and three appearances in the Rose Bowl. Wow. Yeah. Good athlete. Ended up being the first round draft pick, too, from the Tigers. Local, local boy, right? We went nice. to U of M. First round draft pick in 1979. All right, so I'm happy with that. That's a 22.7. Man, dude, that's going to be tough. <clears throat> yeah, that's going to be uh, hard to beat. Let's go ahead and open up your pack now. All right, so uh, Mark, you're going to start off here with some solid points for a mustache and science teacher glasses. Uh, it's outfielder for the Phillies, Greg Gross. Let's see, Greg Gross, 17 years in the big leagues. 10 with the Phillies, 5 with the Astros, 2 with the Cubs. 1988, at the age of 35, his penultimate season with the Phillies, 98 games, hit 203, 291 on base, no home runs, 5 RBI, a 46 OPS plus. And, well, good for you. You're going to start out the same way I did with a minus .7 war. Uh, you do get the the glasses and the mustache, so it'll only be a minus .5 for you. I feel lucky. Unless somehow he happened to end up on Seinfeld and we don't remember that. I'm not sure you're going to yeah. get anything off the field. Well, it looks like uh, Greg did the old mop-up duty as a position player pitching a couple of times in his career. 
struck out Casey Kendall and Herm Winningham at one point. <laughs> nice. Uh, and also struck out Chico, Jose Lean, swinging. Man, maybe he could have extended his career. Yeah, uh, but that looks like uh, looks like that'll be it. So, all right, not the strongest start for you. Maybe this will help. Here with Cleveland, outfielder Mel Hall. Yeah, I remember him mostly as a Yankee and his great hair. All right, yeah, Mel Hall's on our Do Not Talk About list, so let's just quickly go through his stats. Uh, let's see, 13 years in the big leagues. 1988 with Cleveland, 150 games, 280 average, 312 on base. Six home runs, 71 RBI, seven stolen bases, a 95 OPS plus, and that is good for a minus .2 war. Another good one, right on. I'll give you. He's got a. He's got like five o'clock shadow going on. So I'll give you. I'll give you some facial hair. So it'll only be a minus .1. We'll see if I come back to to rue that decision. All right. Uh, next outfielder for the Reds, Tracy Jones. I think you know what I remember about Tracy Jones is I am fairly certain he is the first male that was uh, that I'd ever heard of that was named Tracy. Yes. I'm pretty sure that, that, that he is, but uh, let's see. Six years in the big leagues, three with uh, Cincinnati, two with your Seattle Mariners, two with Detroit, and then one with Montreal, one with the Giants. 1988, uh, split time with Cincinnati and Montreal. Overall, 295 average, 358 on base, three home runs, 24 RBI, 18 stolen bases, 107 OPS plus, and all of that is good for a positive 0.5 wow, for Tracy. I'm getting back to zero. Well, no, you're still at minus 0.1, but uh, I'm getting there. Yeah, he's got the the Fleer loved this look, the BP mesh BP during uh, uh, BP pullover look. Uh, but he is thankfully wearing a shirt underneath it as well. I think there's only one guy that went with the uh, the shirtless look. Uh, I would bet that Jay Baller probably didn't wear. A shirt underneath his pullover mesh top. Got all that lettuce sticking out. Uh, let's see, Tracy, first round draft pick by the Reds in 1983. Oh, well, look at that. He was traded by Her- traded for Herm Winningham at one point, who was then struck out by Randy Gross. Wow, it's all coming together. Cyclical, yeah, it's all cyclical. Nothing that's going to help you out uh, on the card or or outside of baseball. So, uh, let's see. I had that. Uh, here's your chance to make it up. All right. Here is, you've got a American League All-Stars card. Now, I, this seems pretty obvious which one you're going to go with because one's a Hall of Famer, one was a, a good player, but was a catcher in the 80s. So, you know, do with it what you will. Uh, pictured on this card at the Oakland Coliseum for the All-Star game is Matt Noakes and Kirby Puckett. So uh, which one are you going to choose there? Yeah, I think I'm going to go with Kirby on I this one. I thought you would. Let's see, Kirby Puckett, 12 years in the big leagues. Uh, career cut short because of... Uh, eye injury and of course then unfortunately passed away we're not going to go into his off the field stuff too much uh, although i've read some articles that really had some pretty compelling evidence that his off the field troubles may not have been what they were made out to be but we're not here to judge that and we're just gonna we're not here to just throw controversy that's not our that's not our brand in 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 that what you're talking about though he was found not guilty on all counts so yeah, so we'll, uh, I mean, we love, I, I think I speak for Mark uh, when I say that we loved him as a player on the field. He was a we joy really to watch. Yeah. He, and, he and Tony Gwynn just looked like they couldn't have been having more fun when they were on a baseball field. And they both had laughs, those goofy laughs, both of them, and kind of unique voices. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And they both had kind of the same body shape at the end of their career, too. Uh, let's see. 
Uh, Kirby Puckett, 12 years, 10 All-Star years, including 1988. Of course, all of it with the Twins. That's the only team he played for. 158 games. He hit 356, a 375 on base. Let's see, 24 home runs, 121 RBI led the league with 234 hits, six stolen bases, a 153 OPS plus, third in the MVP validating. He was an all-star and a gold glove winner that year, so that'll help as well. And that is good. Wow. 7.8, the highest of his career. Oh, that'll help. Plus the all-star in the gold glove. That is an 8.8. Kirby always had facial hair, so that'll be an 8.9. And he's a Hall of Famer, so that will be a 9.9. There we go. Yeah, that was a, that was a big one there. First round draft pick in 82 by the Twins. Let's just, before we look off the field, let's uh, just look at Matt Noakes. I mean, I think it was kind of a no-brainer, but Matt Noakes in 1988, a 2.5 war. Pretty easy choice there. I thought Kirby Puckett had like an NES video game, but I don't see anything about it. But if you do Google Kirby Puckett video game on Amazon for $5.49, you can buy Kirby Puckett's baseball games book. Hmm. And what is that? Uh, It's a baseball game book. (laughs) Uh, let's see here. Two five-star reviews. Great for a six-year-old. Uh, absolutely loves this book. Reads it before nighttime, uh, before bed every night. Also, a great book! Exclamation book. Best book there to teach baseball basics. This is the second copy I have bought. Wow. <laughs> wow. So there you go. All right, Kirby. There you go. All right, so you're at 9.8. I'm not feeling as comfortable all of a sudden. Uh, Next, we've got pitcher for the Astros with one of the great nicknames. It's Jim. Two silhouettes on Deshaies. There you go. I believe he is uh, a color analyst for the Cubs. Very well could be. There's a lot of headshots here of him looking very professional with an IFB in his ear and I'm, I'm realizing that uh, some of our younger listeners might not have any idea what the Jim uh, Two Silhouettes on Deshaies might reference. But that was a, a Berman nickname, but there was a, a song from the 60s that would go, I'm not going to sing, but the chorus was uh, somebody was spying on their girlfriend and at one point saw her in a room with another guy and two silhouettes, two silhouettes on the shades of them kissing. So... It's a clever nickname, if you if you know what the song is. Uh, let's see. Jim Deshaies, 12 years in the big leagues, seven with the Astros, and then a bunch of other teams. 1988 Houston, 11 and 14 with a 3.0 ERA, 207 innings pitched, a, let's see, 127 strikeouts, a 111 ERA plus, and that is good for a war of 3.5. Wow. I'll take that. I'm getting uncomfortable. Something pretty funny about Deshays in 01, he ran a tongue-in-cheek campaign urging the Baseball Writers Association of America to elect him to the Hall of Fame. <laughs> and he achieved his goal of receiving one vote. Who voted for him? Uh, Houston Chronicle writer John oh, Lopez. Wow. He should have it. I, I'm serious here when uh, John Lopez should have his voting privileges revoked. <laughs> You want to give him the one vote. Yeah, but I mean, that's great for for Jim to to do, you know, for that campaign. But for somebody to waste a vote on a Hall of Fame ballot because of that, I am not down with that. Sorry, Jim, I'm not down with that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not pleased about it. All right. Next, you've got catcher for the White Sox, Bill Lindsay. I am not familiar with Bill. I don't know Bill Lindsay. 
Don't know him personally. I don't know anything about him. Well, you're about to. Let's see. Bill Lindsay, one year in uh, in the big leagues. That was 1987. So no points there. Okay. Uh, he was a catcher, appeared in nine games in 87, hit 188, had an RBI, and an OPS plus of minus 0.4 and a war of minus 0.1. But you know what? He's got a baseball card and he played in the big leagues. Uh, at one point in 86, he was with the Yankees, and the Yankees sent Bill Lindsay to the White Sox to complete an earlier trade in which the uh, Yankees sent a player to be named later, Ron Hassey, Carlos, and Carlos Martinez, to the White Sox for Ron Kittle, Joel Skinner, and Wayne Tolleson. So, uh, okay. I mean, there's some good names there that we've uh, talked about. Uh, oh, Wow. Get this, in 1984, with the Nashville Sounds, Lindsay caught a no-hitter thrown by Jim, two silhouettes on Deshaies. That's crazy. That is awesome. <laughs> I love when we get stuff like that. That is so cool. <laughs> That's how it's done, folks. It yeah. was totally intentional. Professional podcasting. We'll see you all next week. No, wait. You still God got bless you. Good night. Three cards right. left. All right, you're at 13.3. Ah, uh, you got a Hall of Famer. I'm oh, a little good. worried about this. Uh, pitcher, closer for the Cubs. Guy that loved to look after his grounds crew with the slow saunter in from the bullpen. It's Lee Smith. Oh, man, this could be good. Should be noted that uh, I just got the Lee Smith Diamond card on uh, MLB The Show for my Diamond Dynasty Club. Love him. <laughs> Dude, bring him in to close out every game whether we need it or not and he is huge i can't see the batter half of the time from the uh from the uh camera angle and center field in this game because he is so big it's great let's see lee smith uh hall of famer Rollades relief winner three times seven time all-star 18 years in the big leagues eight with the cubs four with the cardinals a bunch of other teams 1988, not an all-star year. It's his first year in Boston, 4-5 and five with a 2.8 ERA, 29 saves, 83 innings, pitched 96 strikeouts, a 148 ERA plus. And that is good. Oh, wow, only 1.3. I guess, you know, we've determined closers usually don't yeah. score high. They, the don't, they don't get the war. Yeah. 1.3, Hall of Famer, and he's got facial hair. So that'll be a 2.4. Okay, still going in the positive. Yep, that's uh, better than uh, poking the eye with a sharp stick. Oh, wow. So <laughs> so baseball reference, they used to do this. You used to be able to sponsor individual pages because I sponsored Ricky Anderson's page. My name is still not on Ricky's page, but David L. Fishman, M.D., is uh, still on Lee Smith's page, and the message that he posted was, Lee Arthur, get this man to Cooperstown. Don't let another cub be slighted. <laughs> well, he's there, but why is this guy still on the page? Whoa, hey -oh. okay, and there's a link to David L. Fishman, MD's webpage. I'm not going to tell you what the link is, but uh, there is some Asian porn, uh, if you follow that link. Oh, so you might want to make sure you, you're... Uh, your virus protection is uh, up to <laughs> up to part there. Well, not uh, nothing that's going to get you any points off the field. Uh, we've talked about him before and his great stories of why he took so long to get uh, to get from the bullpen to the mound, which is awesome. Couldn't do it now with because the, there's the the clock, uh, not just the pitch clock, but the clock for people to get to the mound and start the inning. But all right, right. yeah, that, that would be rough for him. Yeah, it would. Uh, you're at fifteen point seven. You've got two cards left. I finished with twenty two point seven. So you need seven 
just to tie me, but 7.1 to win. Next, you're going to get a catcher here from the Milwaukee Brewers, good old BJ Surhoff. I was always a fan of BJ. I was too. BJ, I liked BJ. This back when he was a catcher as yep. well, because yep. he uh, became an outfielder and, and third baseman a couple of years into his career. You would have gotten extra points here last year too, because he's got a double flap helmet on. BJ, William James Surhoff. 19 years in the big leagues, nine with Milwaukee, eight with Baltimore, three with Atlanta. 1988 was his second year in the big leagues, 139 games, 245 batting average, 292 on base, five home runs, 38 RBI, 21 stolen bases. Wow, he had some wheels back then as a catcher. They probably took him out from behind the plate thinking, well, he can run. And then uh, he did not. Yes. Run after that. Uh, 71 OPS plus, and that is good for a war of 1.0. He does have real stirrups on, so that will be a 1.1. Overall, first round draft pick. First round, first pick of the 1985 draft by the Brewers. Nice. Wow, and he was in the bigs by 87. Off the field, nothing that's going to help you at all. Yeah, member of the Olympic team in 1984. Yeah, that was the good team. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So that brings your total up to 16.8. You've got one card left. And that card is third baseman for Atlanta, Ken Oberkfell. <laughs> Ken Oberkfell card. Yes. I don't think this is going to get me to the I top. I don't think it's going to push you over the top either, but let's take a look anyway. Ken, 16 years in the big leagues, uh, eight with St. Louis, five with Atlanta, two with the Bucks, and a bunch of other teams. 1988, he split time between Atlanta and Pittsburgh. Let's see, 140 games, 271 average, 321 on base, three home runs, 42 RBI, four stolen bases. Now, Ken Oberkfeldt was a was a bigger guy. How many career stolen bases do you think he racked up? 20. 67. Or, I'm sorry, 62. Really? Caught okay. 47. So not a great percentage, but he stole almost 20 more bases than he was caught, which I would have never suspected. Overall, a 92 OPS plus for the season. And overall, that is good for a war of minus 0.2. Um, that's not going to win it. Well, you know, let's take a look at off the field. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he wasn't on Seinfeld, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, or the Simpsons. But let's just, let's make sure. He was on TBS a lot. <laughs> wow, that was good. I really like that. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, I like this. He was uh, part of the Bearded Braves, along with Glenn Hubbard and Bruce Souter. He told the Houston Chronicle that uh, the beards make us stand out from the clean-cut Dale Murphy types. Consider us a modern House of David team. You know, props for him in 1985 of knowing who the House of David was. No kidding. That's impressive. Of course, our listeners can uh, find a, a... We had a show on House of David. Yep. I don't know. Maybe he was, uh, is, maybe he was Jewish. Was, is, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Good for him. But uh, yeah, nothing's going to help you there. So that'll be a 16.6 for you. And uh, I'm going to jump out to a lead two to one. Yay. And we'll see how uh, how I perform here under the gun. See, I'm not used to being behind. Well, you know, remember last season I was ahead until we got to midway point and then I went into my usual. uh, I'm just trying to encourage you. Yeah. Well, there was much rejoicing. Uh, Two to one. All right, that's going to wrap up this uh, edition of Wax Packs Heroes. Also going to take us to the end of this episode. We'd like to thank everybody for tuning in. Uh, Thanks again. Wednesday, I know it's new, but you'll get used to it. 
If you want more of us, you can always find us on the social medias that we are at to strike noise at TWO strike noise. Likewise, if you've got the spelling down, Mark has an email address he'd love to tell you about. You can write to us at two strike noise at gmail.com. Sometimes it takes us a little bit to get back to you, but we will get back to you. Mark likes it when I spell it out before he does, because then he doesn't have to spell. TWO strike noise. Yes, yeah, he, he didn't spell strike noise no. because it's hard. No. Uh, but anyway, thank you everybody for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. We did. Well, we're going to come back. Let's do it again next week. Uh, let's do it on another episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. 